0: Welcome back to Those Happy Places, the podcast that treats theme parks, rides, and attractions like literature. I'm Buddy Duquesne.
1: And I'm Alice White.
0: And Alice, happy 20th episode. Happy 20th episode
1: anniversary. Uh, episode
0: anniversary indeed, Alice. Uh, and, you know, the more I thought about it, and the more you and I talked about it, the more I said to myself... We gotta do a special thing for every 10 episodes, because 10 is a lot of episodes.
1: It's a lot of episodes, and we put in a lot of work for each episode, so it's nice to celebrate every 10 episodes or so with something a little different and a little fun.
0: Yeah, something something maybe a little bit off the beaten path, and we were working on the Pirates of the Caribbean episode, and we were talking about the way that the ride had been adapted into the films, and we thought to ourselves why not give ourselves a larger challenge to adapt rides into other mediums rides and attractions so that brings us to our current episode our 20th episode uh, 20th episode anniversary uh pitch uh adaptation extravaganza
1: <laughs> that's that's right <laughs> extravaganza indeed uh we are going to start by each pitching each other uh, a ri- uh, a movie or other media based on a ride that we've already chosen. Um and then we've got a couple of call-in submissions that of other people pitching us uh ideas. So we uh we have a couple of listeners who sent us in some voicemails. We'll play those later and and talk about that. But first we're going to start with uh our pitches. I chose that I wanted to adapt uh The Matterhorn into a uh in the Matterhorn bobsleds, into a uh, into another media.
0: The the Matterhorn bobsleds. The Matterhorn
1: bobsleds, uh, which which
0: are at Disneyland and are part of the iconic skyline of Disneyland. Um, and Alice, I, I got to tell you, I'm I'm excited to find out what you're going to say about a Matterhorn movie. I hope you're going to pitch me a movie. Are you going to pitch am, me a
1: movie? I'm going to pitch you a movie. Okay. All right, picture this. Okay. A team of hikers try to reach the top of the Matterhorn and get stranded and end up in the cave of the abominable snowman, and they have to escape. It's a harrowing tale of survival and teamwork, and it's beautiful, diverse, and interesting.
0: All right, I, I follow you so far. So <laughs> so these hikers go up the mountain. Where does bobsledding come into the picture?
1: Uh, the bobsleds, I think, would come in... Uh, you know, I didn't think that far because this is not my favorite version of this pitch. I got to say, I wrote another one that I like a whole lot better.
0: You're telling me that that was just like draft one?
1: That was draft one. And I was like, I was like thinking I want to make a movie about the Matterhorn that, uh, that encapsulates the like, the scary vibe of the inside of the cave Uh, and how terrifying that I personally find the Abominable Snowman. I rode that ride with my eyes closed until I was like 17 years old. Let's be Um, honest,
0: Alice. You still (laughs) close your eyes on the Matterhorn.
1: All right. You got me. We shouldn't
0: shouldn't lie on the podcast. We should not lie on the podcast.
1: I I now ride the ride with my eyes open. But when I know we're in the part of the cave where he's going to be right in front of me, I don't look at him. (laughs)
0: Oh, my gosh. Uh, and, and recently he was he was replaced by a much uh, more animated um, version of himself.
1: Yeah, he's really scary. <laughs> and uh, I don't look directly at him because I get scared.
0: Oh, my gosh. It's so cool, though, Alice. Like the, the hair is hanging off of him. And he, when he moves his head, the hair shakes in like a really satisfying way. It's very cool.
1: I'm sure it's very cool. Maybe I'll look at a video or something. But in real life and the roar is so loud, it's so scary. So I, I my first thought in this exercise, was to pitch you something that, cap- that captured that kind of terror. But then I thought, wait a minute, this is Disney we're talking about. Right. <laughs> Let's try for something a little more lighthearted. So okay. um, I decided to spin off an idea that we were, or a, um, a really a joke that we were throwing around in our Those Happy Places Discord, and I've written something um, a little sweeter. <laughs> oh my
0: gosh, okay, I can't wait.
1: It's a love story between the, the Abominable Snowman from the Matterhorn bobsleds and the Yeti from Expedition Everest. Oh my gosh. Um, and you know what? It's going to be as big of a franchise as the Ice Age movies. You the, really
0: think it's going to be that big?
1: Uh-huh, here it okay. is. So the Abominable Snowman from the Matterhorn is voiced by Christoph Waltz. Ooh! And I know. Yeah. That's a I know. bingo. I know. That's a bingo. Uh, and um, so the bottomless snowman is being forced out of his home by developers in Switzerland, who are turning his home into like a ski town. They're turning the Matterhorn mountain into a ski town. Or and there's going to be as as a callback to the uh, ride, there's going to be shots of like kids going down the mountain in little bobsleds and stuff like that. He is being forced out of his home. He's no longer going to be able to to live in secret on the Matterhorn. So he is going to cross the continent to meet up with his pen pal. He's got a a, a pen pal, somebody that he's been in contact with all the way across the continent, the Yeti from Expedition Everest. And she is being voiced by Maya Rudolph. Oh, it's perfect. I know. Ah. And he's going to meet all sorts of crazy characters along the way and have uh, close calls where he's almost spotted by... Uh, by humans and maybe he starts like a like a couple of um, uh, a couple of like Bigfoot rumors while he's on the way, you know, like uh, like people almost spotting him and, and they think that he's, you know, some other monster of some kind. It's going to be a, a funny adventure along the way. And he lands on Everest and he finally meets her in real life and it's love at first sight and they live happily ever after q25 sequels this is a franchise now <laughs> yeah
0: definitely it's it's honestly i think you know forget the ice age series this is going to be as big as shrek <gasps> um yes. And and not just because uh there's like that that monster element where like monsters in love, but like really, like the next one is about their wedding and all of the monsters that get invited to that. And then like the next one is about like their kids and and like dealing with fatherhood and motherhood on both sides of the of the Yeti abominable, you know, family. Uh and and Shrek the 4th. With uh <laughs> King Arthur is also a thing you could riff on, I'm sure.
1: Um, I'm sure. Yeah. So that's uh yeah, you got it. You're 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 picking up what I'm putting down. This is exactly what I imagined, and they would be animated really adorably, but not cart not so cartoony as like the current I think there's an abominable snowman movie about to come out.
0: Oh yeah, um, uh Smallfoot. Yeah. You know, Zendaya played Michi in that.
1: I know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, so I knew you knew, you knew what I was going to talk about because right. I know how much you care about Zendaya as Michi, right. um, and uh, but it would be it wouldn't be so uh, so bubbly and cartoony as that. I'm thinking maybe just a little more hyper realistic, maybe a little closer to. Um, to, I'm thinking maybe like the big friendly giant style like sure. that like maybe it's it's this animated mixed with real life kind of feel where it's like a heartwarming tale of this uh, abominable snowman crossing an entire continent to meet with his pen pal who I think they maybe they they send uh messages back and forth with like birds or something and yeah um, and it would be really cute and they're best friends and they think they're gonna be best friends, but really they're falling in love along the way. Oh my God. And uh, that's my that's my pitch for you. Well
0: Alice I, I, I needed I, I need, like one more detail. Okay. Uh, our abominable snowman played by Christoph Waltz uh, needs a sidekick like okay. really needs a sidekick and of course i can't decide if uh that's like a human like a well meaning uh like swiss guy oh um, like who's like oh yeah yeah we'll get you there uh, i can't do a swiss accent could you do a swiss accent
1: uh no i'm not okay. even gonna try so, um but, but, but that's like, why i cast chris on Waltz, of course because right. uh his accent would be beautiful right. um uh, okay, I think that maybe a well-meaning Swiss guy or maybe just like a really, uh, I, th- I think he's got to be an incredible hiker of some kind because he's got to go from Matterhorn all the way to Everest. He's got to be able to hike up. Maybe he's, um, or she's a, uh, the, like, yeah, like a human sidekick who um, who has climbed the Matterhorn so many times and gotten to know the Abominable Snowman is like a buddy. And is like, oh, I'm gonna help you, you know, find a new habitat, and, and um and walks with him all the way across the continent. I think that could be cool. Uh, a human a that that's <laughs> able to help hide in places and yeah, like exactly.
0: uh, that gives us a lot of opportunities for hijinks and like, oh, get down, abominable! Yeah. You, gotta, you gotta, oh, this hide. is just
1: my very large dog. <laughs> oh, ha,
0: ha. Abominable could be like, I will not bark, <laughs> y- yarf yarf. <laughs> How how do, do suppose <laughs> people think dog sound? Um, I
1: I could not begin to tell you. Okay. Um. But yeah, exactly. Yeah, I think that would be uh that would be a nice touch, a nice human touch for the uh for the human audience.
0: I agree, and I, I'm thinking like Act One. You might be thinking like the movie is going to be like save the abominable snowman from these developers. It's going to be like one of those movies where it's like, oh man those greedy developers and, and the, the abominable snowman's going to be like I'm misunderstood but then like actually that all gets resolved and the abominable snowman just gets kicked off the mountain and then, yeah. and then so it's 2 not- and 3 is the journey
1: Exactly, exactly. I'm glad that you, uh, that you have a handle on this and yeah. that you're as into it as I am.
0: Yeah, for sure. Because I, I, I want
1: to get those two lovebirds together. <laughs>
0: I, got, I got one last problem, though. Okay. This movie's title is Expedition Everest.
1: Oh, Absolutely.
0: So, like, it's not really a Matterhorn movie. It's not
1: really a Matterhorn movie, is it?
0: No. Um, I feel like maybe there's actually a movie before this one where the snowman, like, we learn about the snowman and maybe the snowman and the sidekick meet.
1: Okay, um, maybe that's a prequel. Maybe we put out Expedition Everest and then we put out a Matterhorn prequel.
0: Right. So then in this one the the these abominable snowman can spend more time being scary and there could be like a bobsled race that he like trashes and
1: Oh yeah. tries Yeah, tries to to uh to get people to leave him in his mountain alone by uh scaring off the bobsledders. Uh, maybe they're they're hosting like the Olympics or something up there, and and he uh, and he breaks the bobsled track or something, yeah, it makes and it more Matterhorn centric. That's how he
0: needs his his sidekick, because she is like, oh no, my my bobsled crashed. Whoa, scary monster! And he could be like, actually, I'm just misunderstood, and I'm not actually scary. In fact, I, I write letters to a friend who lives, you know, way over in wh- what country is Everest in? Nepal.
1: Uh, yes. Yes. I think the base camp is.
0: Right. And, you know, I, I, write, I write letters to my friend in Nepal and, you know, I drink tea and stuff. It's just I look scary. Sorry for looking scary. And then that could be like a cute little story about, you know, not judging books by their cover. And then and then the next one is about the the yeti falling in love yes and then that would be really cute i
1: think yes and you're absolutely right that the title of that movie is 100 expedition everest obviously it's about the expedition expedition towards everest yeah Yeah. (laughs) No, obviously you're 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 right. So really, I adapted Expedition Everest instead of Matterhorn <laughs> into, well, you, a, <laughs> into a movie.
0: You really you really just uh, adapted our strong mom and cold dad, um,
1: strong mom and frost dad,
0: right? And they they are going to they really are going to fall deeply, madly in love. I think it's going to be beautiful. They're meant to be for sure.
1: With twenty five sequels,
0: with twenty five sequels, and each of them, they they grow happier. I think. Yes. There's never going to be a sequel where it's like, oh, their romance is struggling.
1: No, I hate that trope. Yeah, hate, that is not allowed. That. No, they're two in love. And maybe, maybe in, this, in the sequels, there's like kid drama where uh, one of the kids, I think, maybe wants to leave the mountain and go join the real world. Um, But the the drama is trying to make sure that the kid keeps their lives secret as you know, as as monsters, they have to stay hidden from humans, right?
0: If they they ever got found, I think that would be that would be a good third or fourth movie. Like if they ever got found, that would cause them a lot of pain and grief and a lot of anxiety. So they got to stop the kids, but the kids can't be stopped, right?
1: No, of course, no. So, the kids have got to, and then the parents, of course, learn a lesson about uh, about letting their kids live their own lives and, uh, and and see the world on their own terms.
0: Yeah, I'm thinking. But, I'm thinking the Yeti and abominable snowman are motion captured, like um, like really, really good motion capture, like they do for like Gollum or Sm- or Snoke. Um, oh
1: yeah, really. Yeah. I thinking we
0: need Andy Serkis in here, at least as a director.
1: Andy Serkis is a wonderful director. Uh, he he absolutely needs to be doing the the behind the camera work and and consulting, of course, on this motion capture. Of course. Um, uh, I'm realizing now that I've cast Maya Rudolph as the Yeti, even though the Yeti is lives in Nepal and should be maybe Nepalese. I just really love her voice. I love. I'm imagining her voice as the uh, the hormone monstrous in in. Um, big mouth sure. in, in that, that then Netflix original big mouth she just got that really robust like beautiful voice that I think um, but maybe it should be maybe we should find this uh, a, a Nepalese actress to do it instead that, but, might, be,
0: that might be a little better but, but I think that's Maya of Rudolph course is something a good too idea.
1: she's 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 a, always a good choice I think for voice acting she's very versatile mm. um, I think it's something to workshop maybe for future maybe for the kids. Maybe they
0: definitely, definitely. Yeah. (laughs) Well, Alice, this is a franchise. This is cut, cut print. Uh, Hey, Disney, that one's not free. Uh, Hey, Disney,
1: hire me. (laughs) Hire us. Uh, Because
0: because that's that's the sort of quality content you get. Because if you've got a movie kicking around at at Walt Disney Studios right now, that's like it's it's a team of hikers that get lost and scared by a snowman. That's not going to it's not going to be a franchise. Sorry, that's not going anywhere.
1: No, you might get one movie out of that, and it's a horror film. And Disney, I don't think you uh, have dabbled in in horror film, or maybe they should dabble in horror films. I mean, maybe,
0: uh, you know, there's there's room for it in the canon. I think you could definitely go full scary monster with it, but it's just not as interesting.
1: No, I'd like to see another another f- big cartoon franchise like Ice Age that has uh, that has the heart. And the uh, the dynamic characters to uh, to hold together, yeah, like a a whole bunch of movies.
0: Right, and and you know, Alice, unfortunately, this franchise is going to have to wait a couple of years because Smallfoot uh, really does kind of own the whole Bigfoot thing right now. Um, yes, but you know, we'll we'll get there. People will forget Smallfoot.
1: Well, and and you get you get Disney and other animated studios putting out parallel films all the time we've got i mean bugs life and ants came out really close together um there was i'm thinking
0: about happy feet and surf's up
1: happy feet and surf's up that's it that's and, the other example i March was thinking of, the penguins. of. and
0: penguins and, and finding penguins. nemo and shark tale
1: Find, finding nemo and shark tale came out really close together
0: yeah, but disney never plays second fiddle in those they're always they're always the first one to the punch
1: okay so that's my pitch uh, and, and and my contribution to this uh pitch extravaganza uh buddy why don't you uh go ahead and give me your pitch
0: all right alice so for this episode i have gone ahead and selected uh the classic disneyland attraction uh big thunder mountain railroad uh and this one is very near and dear to my heart i've been tossing this one around um for years bouncing it off of people uh i've I've written a spec script i've I've pitched it to Disney they're not taking my calls anymore um it's it's been quite the wild ride um <laughs> and for for Big Thunder Mountain, my pitch is really simple i'm gonna I'm gonna break it down to you here's the here's the tagline if we were caught in an elevator that we only had to go one floor this is what i would I would tell you
1: All right give me that elevator pitch uh
0: it's fast than the Furious, but with trains <laughs> And and it's also kind of speed racer.
1: <laughs> okay.
0: Okay. So um,
1: I have a, a handful of questions. Okay. Uh, I guess we'll start with if we were on an elevator going up mm. s- several floors. Right. What's the longer version of that pitch?
0: <laughs> so uh, it's uh, Big Thunder Mountain is a uh, former mining town, but the 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 well, not the well. What do, what do you call the the vein? Yeah. The thing that they were mining dried up. There's no more mining happening there. And in an effort to stay relevant, uh, the town of Big Thunder uh, decided that they would take these mine cart tracks and... Because uh, there were there were two tracks. There was one going down and one going up because they were so uh, prosperous, right? Uh-huh. They would take these parallel mine cart tracks and they would race trains down them. Uh, <laughs> and... That's how they started this, this kind of, you know, spectacle. And, and trains back then were like the fastest things you could get going. So it was really, it was kind of like NASCAR, but in a, in a cave um, and trains. Um, and our hero is this young kid um, who just wants nothing more than to become a train racer. Um, And his dad is a famous engineer who uh, who, you know, builds trains and like, you know, develops new kinds of engines and stuff. And he's like, come on, dad, you got to let me become a racer. And his dad's like, no, Junior, never since what happened to your brother on Big Thunder Mountain, uh, our family swore off train racing like we'll build them, but we'll never drive them again. And uh, But more cowboy voices and less uh, my voice. Sure. Uh, so he's like, but Pa, it's the only thing I want to do. Um, and, you know, you can't stop the kids, right? So he he sneaks into, like, an underground train race. Because, like, Big Thunder is, like, the championship. But there's, like, other smaller races. So, okay. you know, he gets himself an engine. He, like, steals it from his dad. And he, he gets it onto a track. And he, he goes to a secret underground train race. And... You know, it's like that scene in in Fast and the Furious, like everybody's trains are all lined up and everybody's hanging out on their trains and talking about how cool their trains are. Um, and the thing is, when you race a train, it doesn't have like cars behind it. It just It's just the engine on these little tracks. Um, so it's like really dangerous. You could tip it over or take a turn too fast and you got to be working the brake and also making sure the engine gets enough fuel and all this. So it's, like, a really engaging, like, physical activity that you watch these characters do. So, you know, he gets into a train race and he, he gets all set up. And there's this guy and he's like, whatever, kid, you don't know how to race trains. And he's like, watch me. And they they race and, you know, he he wins. But, like, the, the other guy gets all mad and, like, beats him up after. So he comes home and he's all bloody. And he's like, Pop, I shouldn't have raced trains. And he's like, <laughs> actually... Your brother would would have wanted you to race trains and he's like, "Oh pa." And you know, then they get all they they like race trains together. But then there's like this mysterious ghost train racer who okay. who um like if he shows up, like watch out cuz like
1: Okay. wears yeah. a mask and everything. You can you don't know who he is. He right. just like uh, disappears they, they him, after They call
0: him uh, the Ghost Train Racer X. Um, and <laughs>
1: You cannot. Yeah,
0: yeah, I can't. So, uh, so you know, if the, if the ghost train racer, they, they say that he can like go through walls and things, and he he can he can do things that nobody else can do, and they say that his, his train doesn't even need to run on tracks. Um, Whoa! Right, it's very it's very spoopy. Um, so, like the dad develops like a new engine, and it's like bigger and better than any engine. And he's like, this year we're gonna we're gonna race Big Thunder, and they do. And then train racer X shows up and he's like, <laughs> I was your brother all along. And it's like, no! a, right, at, 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 like the climactic moment. And like, he's like, bro, you got to come home. And he's like, no, I am the trains now. And, and it's, it's like, very no! beautiful and moving. I, I, I would guess that there's also kind of like a found family thing going on where like, you know, he really starts to like, get to know and love these train racers and they become like, you know, there's like the. I'm the techie one, but like, you know, 1850s techie. So, you know, you know, kinda, you know
1: like kind of, you know, a little steampunky, like...
0: like, oh, watch out for the, the boiler pressure. Ooh, and then there's like the one who's like Fin Diesel, basically, who's like, hey, this kid's all right. Uh, okay. We're, we're all teach right. Him to race trains. And I guess there needs to be like, there's like one more thing where like, you can make your train go extra fast it's like nitrous but but trains it's
1: like a special kind of coal that you shovel into the engine that that you can only get from mining that's what they oh that's, oh, that's what, what they, they used mine to mine the there but it's yeah. all out now but like the dad has like a little bit left over that he's been saving all right.
0: you gotta use this at the last possible moment me he, he yeah like say okay TV.
1: Dad, okay, I'm picturing Dad as a little bit, um, a little bit John Goodman and a lot of bit Christopher Lloyd from Back to the Future. Yeah,
0: it's it's like it's like if John Goodman grew his hair out like way too much and uh, was like, yeah,
1: I'm from the old west, but also always yelling. Um, uh,
0: <laughs>
1: okay, but that was your Christopher Lloyd voice. Right, I want to hear so, your John Goodman voice now. Uh,
0: I'm uh, I'm John Goodman. <laughs> <laughs>
1: spot on dead on well, guess... well done
0: <laughs> And I guess the the climactic race could be um, like what we see in in the attraction so you know they're racing on Big Thunder Mountain when like the really bad guys uh, set off dynamite because
1: oh yeah maybe it's
0: greedy land developers um and they want they want to like get rid <laughs> of all the train racers
1: is it the same greedy land developers that are that are working on Matterhorn it's
0: it's their ancestors they're very Swiss uh and they're gonna they're trying to buy pieces of America um and so Christoph Waltz uh played I can't (laughs) um and so so like maybe maybe it's like that or maybe maybe it's like Maybe it's the U.S. Marshals or something. They want to like uh break up. Oh, they want to shut it. Yeah,
1: yeah, they want to shut it down. It's dangerous, right?
0: Well, it is because like you know that one kid died, but he didn't. He became the train. He didn't. He
1: became Ghost Racer X.
0: (laughs) Right, Ghost Train Racer. Um, Um,
1: okay. Um, I like it. Yeah, I like it. That was really good,
0: and and this is a this is a franchise because uh, just no,
1: I want to hear I want to hear about I know no, it's definitely a franchise because we can get Fast and the Furious. Uh, sorry, <clears throat> we can get uh, Big Thunder Mountain Railroad, uh, like too fast, too big thunder. We can get. <laughs> Ooh,
0: uh, I can't wait for Tokyo Drift. That's the one where they race <laughs> down Mount Fuji. Uh, oh yes, uh, it's that's, perfect. It's gonna be amazing.
1: It's gonna be really intense. Okay. Um... I like it. Is this a live action or animated story?
0: Oh, this is absolutely live action.
1: The whole this thing is, is live action. This
0: is a uh, a vaguely steampunk period piece. Um, okay. Where, like, some impossible things happen, but it's overall pretty grounded in tone. Um, there are no ghosts because, like, there, it's like scooby-doo level ghost right like the brother is is being ghost train racer so that he can save the mountain or something like that it's okay it's some kind of like ulterior motive like he I
1: definitely done. have one another question yeah. how are you going to get around all your speed racer copyright issues?
0: I don't know I don't know what you're talking about <laughs> there's nothing like, no every
1: single inch of this including by the way me slipping John Goodman <laughs> into the league there. <laughs>
0: I completely forgot that he played. his played. He played Pops, didn't he? Yeah.
1: He played Pops in the Speed Racer movie. <laughs> I I accidentally did that. I didn't mean to.
0: And he's got like a girlfriend who follows him in like a helicopter, and then and then there's like his kid brother who like has a a pet monkey and hangs out in the in the back train car, I guess
1: oh no no that's not allowed (laughs) that's that's crossing too many crossing too many streams but
0: well do do remember alice that uh there's um there are scooby-doo elements in this as well so i think that actually undoes it because if you break copyright a bunch of times um (laughs) (laughs) That stops any of the one things.
1: Oh, they cancel each other out. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Okay, wait, I I just had a really cool.
0: Too. If it weren't for my my stupid brother's uh, train and then Uh... they they pull off the ghost mask and it's and it's ghost race. And it's brother
1: brother all along. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Okay. Because also you're you're. Okay. Oh, hold on. Here's a really cool scene for you incorporating some of the the big thunder mountain imagery here well a you've got to race through some cool caverns right right some like drippy stalactites and stuff like that absolutely it's gonna be very very cool yeah there's gonna be references
0: to uh journey through nature's wonderland as well which okay like before big thunder so there's like a rainbow caverns and stuff like that it's all it's all in there it's all in the spec script um,
1: and the very last like hard turn that you make, the hardest turn that almost tips you over, and like so many trains have been lost in this lake. Mm-hmm. It's like a like a like a shipwreck's cove with all of these like train engines in this huge oh, under uh, like huge lake, right? Yeah. Um. It's that turn right where that half unearthed uh, dinosaur skeleton is. Right,
0: and and because this is 1850, uh, they don't have like a concept of that. They're not. They're not sure. Like, what is this like? Uh, important or is this like is a, a mythical creature so they call it like dragon gulch or something like that
1: um, yeah
0: yeah it's pretty cool and and in um in one of the future uh you know sequels that that thing can come to life i think
1: um Ooh, okay okay after. uh after credit scene it's showing that cavern again. It's showing like the shipwreck coves and it turn goes over to, and then the eyes start glowing.
0: Yeah. Or, or, um, or maybe like there's a curse with it. Maybe it doesn't need to come with, come to life. I think that's a lot. Uh, but like there's a fabled curse. Um, and maybe that's just in the first movie. Like, like they're worried about it. They think that that turn is like, is cursed it's, by the bones.
1: Yeah, uh-huh. yeah, and that's why it's so dangerous. But really, it's just that the turn is too steep for fast moving train engines. So when Um, when your speed racer goes around that corner with his... Train speed racer. Train speed racer goes around that corner. He knows because he's, uh, he's seen it happen so many times. That's where his brother died. Oh, right. Um, so he's seen that and he climbs up there maybe. And he like does some measurements and he figures out how steep it is. So he builds like a miniature version in his house. And he's like, how fast can you go to take that turn? Yeah. And he figures out exactly... And then he makes that turn and that's when he throws in the special coal and then he could speed out of that turn.
2: Oh my
0: gosh. Oh my gosh. So like a bunch of people pass him and a few people even like wipe out
1: and then he's like, Yeah. And he's like, but he's like, okay, hold on, hold on. Just what? Like he counts down the seconds. Three, two, one, throws in that coal, boom, he goes so fast. It's like
0: a it's like a story about like the triumph of science over superstition. Um
1: oh yeah and
0: and so like so like not only do we uncover the secret of the of the ghost um but we also uncover like oh there's no curse here um because because i think what could really separate it from like pirates of the caribbean is like the tagline of curse of the black pearl is you best start believing in ghost stories you're in one but this one's like don't believe in ghost stories this is about like the triumph of the american west uh you know with all of the problems that that comes with and and this is obviously going to be very sanitized but like it's going to be about like engineering and science and skill overcoming superstition
1: i love that i love that a lot
0: thank you alice i know i'm so happy about it
1: All right, so we asked on Twitter and across all social media for people to send us some pitch ideas, and we got a couple of really good submissions. So we're going to start with a submission from listener Marie. Uh, Marie co-hosts a podcast called uh, Go Your Own YA, Uh, and, uh, and so here is a pitch from her.
2: Hi, Allison, and Buddy. This is Marie Célevis from Go Your Own YA. We're both really big fans of your podcast. And when I heard you were having another call-in show, I had to send in this concept, which has been co-signed by host Carrie. And I'm picturing this as a very Jan Svankmeyer meets Sofia Coppola meets Josie and the Pussycats kind of movie. So my IP that I chose is it's a small world after all and it is a horror comedy uh aimed towards younger teens blair is a freshman at a high school for arts in jubilation florida she's an installation artist and works in many forms of media to bring her visions to life her imagineer parents work in a similar way and their house is like decorated in all sorts of discards from the disney parks made into furniture and stuff it's really cool her school wants to bring an old school artist and art director to campus, but he's known for being super sexist, barring women from working at his company, being racist, etc, etc. Blair and her friends ask why not any other alum, even an old white dude who's not this one guy. Um, old school artist donates a lot of money to the school, so her request is denied. When word gets out and inv- inspires a lot of gamergate Backlash where students tear down any other student's work that's too diverse or open minded or whatever bullshit, and you know, and for any reason, especially if they don't want this guy on campus. Blair is non confrontational by nature, so she comforts and supports her friends when they are attacked, but does not act out herself. So there are dolls in the corners and reflections of anywhere you can cram something to be seen in the peripheral vision. There are the little dolls that Blair makes. Wandering around and interacting with their environment. As the normie abuse of anything too different or diverse ramps up, shocking and embarrassing things keep happening to the worst perpetrators, and the dolls are always in view. Nobody suspects Blair or her friends, because the dolls look out for their own. Tensions ramp up, and one of her, fr- when one of her friends has her portfolio destroyed for offending some Gamer Gator or another. Blair and her friends sneak into the school's black box theater and turn it into a 60s technicolor Florida Gothic world showcase wonderland. We never see Blair install her dolls, but they appear. The crusty old terrible artist man shows up ahead of time to set up his materials and is chased out by the dolls in a horrifying Rube Goldberg sequence. As he runs out, Blair watches and picks up one of the dolls left in his wake, sticks it in her pocket, and walks away.
0: All right. Thank you, Marie, for that excellent pitch. So it's a small world as a horror comedy teen coming of age story where we uh, kind of leverage the spookiness of the dolls to to make a, uh, you know, to kind of to kind of make the the campiness of it all um, make more sense in a modern context i get it I, i dig it a lot um so i i really like the the premise like set it up as um you know there's this there's this uh need for remembering the main theme of it's a small world which is uh diversity togetherness uh the similarity between all peoples right and i think that's what could be missing from a lot of attempted adaptations of uh it's a small world because i mean like what our big criticism of pirates of the caribbean was was that uh the the theme of the ride was not accurately reflected in the theme of the films and then the theme of the films over overtook the theme of the ride right so Mm -hmm. Alice, you know, it's a small world, uh, mostly for its, uh, maddening song, I am sure.
1: (laughs) Uh, yeah, and, and of the, the cute little dolls that dance around, but the, it's a small world hasn't changed at all, or even updated really in, like, 50 years. Well, we've gotten
0: small changes, additions of certain Disney characters, um, that, you know, as, as they get kind of added into, um, Existing pieces of the ride, but sure, most of but, the ride is the same.
1: But it's mostly the same, and the theme of the ride, as repeated over and over and over again in the song, is about how, how about togetherness and 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 uh, reaching out hands across the world, kind of thing.
0: Absolutely, and and this this uh, kind of unison of uh, all of the world's voices in the same song um, that brilliantly is is written in a uh, in a way that each language could sing the song and it could mean the same thing in each language on the same rhythm, um, which is really cool. Um, that that message of like acceptance and diversity and of, you know bringing everybody together for the good of all mankind, rubbing up against somebody, say, who is uh, regressive in that political, like sense is a good idea for a, a uh, conflict of a movie. Uh, yeah,
1: I was getting. I, I had a an idea while I was listening to your pitch. Um, that it, it reminded me a little bit this kind of like singular uh, like villain character, uh, who is uh, directly uh opposing our young. Teenage, like coming of age heroes, uh, my mind immediately flashed to. For some reason, I flashed to uh, the movie Big Fat Liar, starring Frankie Muniz and Amanda Bynes. And the bad guy in that movie was played by Paul Giamatti. And now I am picturing Paul Giamatti in this role as this guy in your Small World movie. And I am, I'm. That's who it is. Now. that's can, who I have cast. You can get
0: Paul Giamatti if you just ask Paul Giamatti. He'll show he'll up do on set. Anything. Um... <laughs> so so Paul Giamatti is this old fuddy-duddy artist who thinks that some people just don't produce good art. And it's based on things like their gender or their race or their identity. Um, and that makes him a cartoonish supervillain. And it also makes the, uh, the underlings that he kind of gathers into his clique uh, also cartoonishly evil. But that's good, I think, for like a teen drama.
1: Especially one that's being made by Disney. If we're assuming Disney's making this as a Disney property. Right. Uh, sticking to kind of over-the-top like supervillains like that is pretty good for them. I
0: think. Yeah, and, and it's it's definitely par for the course. So the, the kind of conflict then is that's not what art is about. Art is about unifying and being creative and also being yourself at the same time and, and kind of bringing what you've got to the table. And and pushing up against this Paul Giamatti and this this kind of regressive politics that we see, you know, way too often these days. So I think it would be it would be kind of radical for Disney to take that tack on a film. It might be it might be too radical for Disney if I'm being honest about Disney's politics, <laughs> um, because you know they they try to stay neutral and neutrality just won't cut it in this pitch, right? Um, They can't just be like, art, good, bad people, bad. They really need to go for it on this. Yeah, Um, they need
1: to, to step on that gas pedal and really, really stick it to the man- Um, which I don't see Disney doing, but I would, if they did it, I'd go see it 150 times in theaters.
0: Right. No, it would be, it would be an achievement. I'm not saying Disney's neutrality is a a positive part of their corporate uh, philosophy, Um, but (laughs) you know, it, it does it, does it jive? Um, And the other thing that I think might be a little tough for Disney is uh, the kind of scary horror aspects because what i like i like the dolls showing up to kind of be like guardian spirits of of you know this ideology this this good positive feeling about people being together and being united i like that but i think if if you're talking about making this movie for real disney would be like oh no the dolls can never be scary
1: no the dolls, the dolls would be it would be a little bit more like toy story rather than uh over anything else, the dolls would get individual personalities and voice actors, and and be like, "We've got to save our girl," like that kind of thing.
0: Right, and and those those little scenes, I think, actually could could end up not being very effective, but sound exactly like what Disney might make. But yeah, because I just don't see it working. <laughs>
1: Buddy, I have something for for you for this that okay. just flashed into my mind on how to make it, okay. how Disney could make it, because okay. Disney, I think, is associated uh, Correct me if I'm wrong, or delete this if I'm wrong, but I think <laughs> Disney is associated with this. It would work exactly, perfectly and even like, Oscar award winning, if it was a Hayao Miyazaki film
0: Oh, oh my god That's that was the missing link, Alice.
1: It's now a Studio Ghibli film by Hayao Miyazaki. <laughs> um, it, it is now a like if Spirited Away and um, and like the Secret Life of Arieti. It's like it's like these films combined. The dolls are actually literally spirits. They don't need to talk now. They're just creepily floating in the background or whatever, uh, but it's beautifully animated, and uh, and you can you can you can go with so many more risks with a with an animated film like this. That's
0: that's so good because Miyazaki doesn't shy away from kind of the creepiness of spirits, but he's never like these are spooky, scary spirits. There's there's a way that he handles it that's so positive yeah. and like and like. Welcoming of the unsettlingness because
1: the spiritual world in his films are directly meant to be like like nature is on our side uh, so long as humanity isn't like like crushing nature right it's yeah. a it's a um, it's like a, a harmony between the spiritual world and the human world that really kind of in his stories only young women can see or can channel. And this uh, designing this gar- this this girl, Blair, and giving her this kind of communion with the spiritual world that helps her with her goals, I think is very, very, uh, very on brand for now, Ghibli and Miyazaki.
0: It's very, very Studio Ghibli. And, and I just, my one thing is, and, and this is just me being like, what if? Do you think Pixar could handle it?
1: I don't know.
0: I cause I think like somebody might be like, uh, imagine this is the Disney boardroom where we're approving this film. Um, sir. Or madam. <laughs> uh what what about uh what about Hayao Miyazaki? And somebody would be like, "Well, he's mostly retired." And then somebody else would be like, "Well, we could still we could still ask him over there." And somebody would be like, "That sounds expensive." And then somebody else would be like, "Just make Pixar do it." And then like, what would, <laughs> what would the Pixar version of that look like? Because Pixar has handled tough concepts before, and they'll personify anything.
1: Yeah, and I, I kind of if... see
0: like. Incredibles level of design work happening here.
1: Incredibles level, level of design work, and but handling tough emotional concepts as well as like Inside Out did, I could maybe see it working. They'd have to be very careful.
0: And you can already hear it. Disney Pixar presents It's a Small World, and Paul Giamatti still plays the bad guy. Oh, of course. And it's, it's like his face.
1: <laughs> he, um, it looks just like him. <laughs>
0: And he's like,
1: nobody who,
0: who looks like you ever made good art. And then the dolls would like. Oh, my God, like, that
1: was a spot on Giamatti Thank impression.
0: You. <laughs> Thank you. And then and then they'd be like, uh, the dolls would like suddenly just kind of appear and be like, it's a small world, Paul. And then.
1: Is his name Paul, too? I, oh, I'm in. I'm in. I love it. <laughs> Anyways, thank you, Marie, for sharing that pitch with us. It gave us a lot to think about and a lot to talk about. And uh, listeners, uh, go ahead and uh, give Go Your Own YA podcast a listen. Uh, Marie and Carrie do a really good job breaking down lesser known uh, young adult novels uh, and, uh, and always give us something to think about there. They're very insightful. So uh, thank you.
0: Yeah, thank you. Uh, Alice, shall we? Shall we move on to our next contributor?
1: I think we shall.
0: Okay, so our next contribution is from our dear friend, our dear pod friend, our fellow podnot, Charles Gustine.
1: Charles Gustine, old friend of the pod, uh,
0: of the Iconography Podcast, and you, you longtime listeners have heard Charles Gustine's voice on several of our episodes, including our previous Colin episode and the one about uh, the Jungle Cruise. Uh, most recently. Um, But here's Charles today with a pitch about a figment movie.
3: Hi, Alice and Buddy. Congrats on making it to your 20s. So I'm ready to pitch you my movie based on a ride idea for your 20th episode. After toying for a while with... An ambitious uh, idea based on Carousel of Progress that would have incorporated some of Alice's criticisms of that ride slash experience that would have been like, I don't know, written by Charlie Kaufman, uh, writer of Adaptation, Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind, director of Synecdoche, New York, and uh, Anomalisa, uh, maybe like starring Tom Hanks as the dad but like you know something really weird <laughs> um i i've i've instead decided to pitch a a film uh based on the epcot attraction or really um series of somewhat interrelated attractions uh journey into imagination the, the figment ride uh in the imagination pavilion at epcot which has um gone through three different iterations it has a weird history and i think that there is the possibility to do like a really interesting film centered around figment if you can strike the balance of figment right both as maybe like a cgi creation and as not making him maybe too irritating him i'm thinking of, of kind of like olaf in frozen how that could be the most cloying annoying character ever but it's not and there's this touch of sweetness maybe even josh gad is is right to 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 voice figment in this movie, but um, Figment is sort of the through line between the three iterations of the ride at, at Epcot, but not even really because the original iteration had Figment in the Dream Finder, and then this weird middle iteration in the late 90s had the Imagination Institute with Eric Idle as Dr. Nigel Channing um and Figment just made little cameos but not really and it was about like you don't have enough imagination let's get you some and now the current iteration is like a weird hybrid of the two where Dr. Nigel Channing is hanging out with Figment instead of the dreamfinder so my pitch is a film where we meet Figment as he is as sort of a subject at the Imagination Institute he uh is working under Dr. Nigel Channing and he sort of powers their imagination engines or whatever and it's not it's not horrifying or manipulative or anything like that it just sort of is what it is there's it feels like there's something missing from Figment's life Um, but it's not like he hates Dr. Nigel Channing or we're meant to hate Dr. Nigel Channing, but we come to find out that Figment had this entire past with the Dreamfinder, and, um, that for the betterment of humanity, whatever the imagination engines do, you know, they've sort of kept him from that for reasons that hopefully in the script come across as like flawed, but ultimately humane, um, where you can sort of see their motivations, but what you're really rooting for is for Figment to sort of find this Dreamfinder and push past kind of science, which is what the Imagination Institute is di- doing—is like imagination in the name of science—and find this other part of himself and this and this past companion, the Dreamfinder, who I don't know, yeah, is a little bit like a Doctor Who, uh, in a sense, and I, I in my head, I, I think. You know, Eric Idle, who plays Dr. Nigel Channing in in the ride, can can stick around. He can play Dr. Nigel Channing in this film. Uh, Dreamfinder, for some reason, I want like a a, a a middle-aged actor with a twinkle in his eye. And I'm thinking of Paul Giamatti in his brief appearances in in Downton Abbey as like a good model for the Dreamfinder. And I already said that, you know, maybe Josh Gad as a potential figment. Um, and yeah, I, I would, if I had to give the director's chair to someone sight unseen, I, I don't know whether like someone like Shane Carruth, who's done Primer and Upstream Color would, would make one of his once a decade films for this. So I would probably go with David Lowry, who has directed, um, Ain't Them Body Saints, A Ghost Story, and did the wonderful, uh, Pete's Dragon remake, Sort of. <laughs> from two or three years ago. Uh so yeah, that's
0: that's my pitch. Thank you, Charles, for that <laughs> excellent pitch. <laughs> oh my
1: god, Charles.
0: <laughs> we gotta we gotta be very clear about something. Like, this has been a big night for Paul Giamatti <laughs> on this. <laughs>
3: And- we
1: do not listen to these pitches before we start recording. We had no idea that Charles was going to bring Paul Giamatti in back into this. Um, the, the guy, can't, can't give that guy a break. No, um, I mean,
0: like, okay, but the good news is we have noted Paul Giamatti's range. He can play uh, an need- evil <laughs> old uh, son of a gun or he can play a middle-aged guy with a twinkle in his eye who's beyond time and space itself because he's the dream finder. Um, And you know what? No, that's, that's the Canon actor. That's who's going to play the dream finder is Paul Giamatti.
1: Absolutely. And I am uh, totally on board both with Eric Idle remaining, uh, remaining uh, uh, Dr. Nigel and also very interested in Josh Gad redoing the figment voice. Yeah, because
0: Uh, the current voice actor, I got to say, leaves a lot to be desired.
1: Yeah, he sounds too much like Gonzo. I know it's the same voice actor. Uh, He it's too much like Gonzo from the Muppets. And he's like, I almost can't understand him when he speaks. But Josh Gad has a really beautiful speaking and singing voice and would be a a really good choice for Figment. we
0: We can't rely on Josh Gad for all of our could be annoying, but aren't really that annoying animated characters. But in this case, I am willing to defer Yes. Um, to the expert. Uh, so, so Alice, it sounded like we kind of had the, the beginnings of the plot here, but I want to pitch to you kind of the the rest of this movie.
1: Okay. okay so we so- start with Charles's idea with uh, Figment and Doctor Knight. They're they're uh, they're working together. We've got our aesthetic. We got our directors. What do they do?
0: Okay, so so Figment and the Doctor are doing all sorts of, you know, imagination-based uh, experiments. And, of course, the imagination engines are powered up. And as a result, great inventions are being made all the time at the Imagination Institute. Um, and, you know, Figment loves this work, kind of being an assistant and helping people's imagination uh, flourish. Like, this is Figment's thing. So the, the t- movie's title is Figment, right? Um... Because Journey into Imagination just isn't going to cut it as a as a film title, so it's oh, called it's a Figment. little much. It's, it's about Figment, um, and Figment uh, is going about his business when uh, he remembers the Dreamfinder, and he remembers like something bad happened with the Dreamfinder. Maybe the Dreamfinder like crashed or got lost. Um, if we're aiming this for really little kids, got lost is probably a good one um and figment gets like really sad and like quiet and and things aren't going really well at the imagination institute as a result um and that's when eric idle's character is like all right figment like what's wrong how can we help you little buddy cuz mostly eric idle is is the straight man he's just like exasperated um and but you know, when Figment is sad, they they really are good friends. So he'll he'll be like, "Oh, little guy, what do you need?" And Figment will be like, oh, "I just remembered about the Dreamfinder. Finder," uh, and spot they'll go, on,
1: Figment. Thank you.
0: Uh, and they'll they'll go on like an adventure to find the Dreamfinder because Figment can open like doors to the world of imagination. Okay. Uh, so part of it is kind of a uh, almost Rick and Morty, like, opening doors to, like, wacky new worlds, um where they're they're just like falling into new worlds and like what what's going on here oh here everything is made of clouds and then like they open another door and like oh no figment where have you taken me now and he's like oh here uh everybody speaks in rhyme all the time <laughs> stuff like that um <laughs> that's adorable <laughs> and then eventually they find the Dreamfinder, um and he's like in a cave and like a little haggard um and he's he's got like a stick and he's like, "Oh, stay away from me! I I, I don't what Dreamfinder. He's got like, uh, not amnesia, but he's like, he's given up that life. Um, mm-hmm. He ran out of imagination. He 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 became disillusioned because the world was too dark. Um, and he couldn't find great imagination anymore. And the quest is really to uh, rejuvenate the Dreamfinder and kind of give him give him that that oomph that he needs. Bring Paul Giamatti out of his slump." Um, and back to, back to mischievous twinkle in his eye, Paul Giamatti, instead. Um, and, and really just kind of uh, fix the dream finders, like dream machine, that thing that he, he pedals around the, the hot air balloon thing. Um, and to fix that and to like, get him back finding dreams because the world's dreams are in danger or something like that. You know, it, it'll go like uh, a yeah. little bit more cosmic with it by the end. But really, it's about Figment um, kind of coming into his own. Because just being a whimsical sidekick buddy isn't going to save the day here. Like, Figment has to learn something about um, real problem solving. He can't just be like, oh, what if you imagined, like, a dog with, with uh, wings? And Dream Fighter would be like, that's stupid.
1: Um. <laughs> no, he has to, to turn it. Yeah, like you said, like a more cosmic scale. He has to uh, has to remind the world and himself what imagination really is good for. It's not just working in a lab, but like uh, experimenting and, and trying new things and innovating and and um, and and changing the world with it.
0: Yeah, and but it's not just about it's not just about imagining thing for imagination's sake. Like right. The it's Dreamfinder has to be realigned to be somewhere between Eric Idle and Figment. And he can he can walk the line. He can walk in both worlds. So Figment's like Ooh. wacky fun all the time and Eric Idle's like science, hard facts. Like tell me an idea and then let's make it real because but only realistic things. Um, and that's where Figment and Eric Idle like rub up against each other. So Dreamfinder has to has to walk both paths. And he's the only one who can do it, because he is the Dreamfinder. Um so that's what fixing the Dreamfinder is about.
1: I love that. It's wholesome and it's uh and it's it can be kind of variable you could bring in a lot of different elements and a lot of different scenescapes you can make it really like give it like a big scale but also like make it about the performances there's a lot that can be done with this pitch that you've just given me and charles thank you so much for for submitting that also it's- i'm
0: i'm thinking about maybe instead it's just primer the movie but figment <laughs> is in some scenes like
1: just scattered throughout, yeah, just
0: kind of like hanging out. They're like, Oh man, we built this time machine. How does it work? And Figment's like, Hi, I'm your pal Figment, the dragon.
1: All um, right, uh, new idea. <laughs> um, all movies secretly have Figment in them, uh, because he's an imaginary dragon. Um, he's, uh, he's just in. He's just in every movie and we just never noticed. New
0: new idea for how Figment's powers work is that if you have something that's imaginative, he can use that as a door. So like if there's a book or a movie, he can, <gasps> he can go through that.
1: Oh, um, my gosh. So in the movie is not him popping around to different like parallel universes, like where something's made of clouds or whatever. He's popping into different movies and IPs.
0: Yeah. And it's actually it's actually a lot more like Pagemaster than yes. I thought it was. It's a Yes, it's a, a like Pagemaster
1: page Master. movie. It's just
0: Pagemaster actually. We're just making Pagemaster now. We're Master just remaking
1: Pagemaster. <laughs> it could be part animated and part live action and Oh
0: my god, yes. And then and then Figment Okay, so Figment pulls Eric Idle into the animated like imaginary world and we get
1: animated eric idol
0: next to animated figment and then that bridges that whole like bad cg gap because it doesn't matter now it's 2d and everybody's 2d
1: everybody's 2d and he's like whoa i'm animated i'm 2d he does like that whole where he tries to like look at the back of his arm but he can't because he's 2d you know you know that scene that everybody does when they become animated yeah that
0: scene um and and that's that's Really, the aesthetic that I think we're going for is, is it's Pagemaster meets Doctor uh, <laughs> basically.
1: <laughs> I love it.
0: It's going to be great. This movie is going <laughs> to be great.
1: It's going to be great. It's going to be great. And it all started with you, Charles. Thank you so much for submitting it. Again, listeners, Charles Gustine hosts the Iconography Podcast, which is one of our favorites. Uh, very, it is just an absolute masterpiece of audio listening. Go give it! And we recently uh, had guest spots. Oh yeah, on, we were, uh, on, on on the episode about Salem.
0: Yeah, we were the voices of uh, of characters from the Crucible. So I also
1: did Sabrina the Teenage Witch for oh, him. Yeah, so you
0: did do Sabrina. You did good as yeah, Sabrina. That was really good. That was
1: really fun to do. And Charles is a doll. So uh, every, yeah, everybody, go listen to uh, to Iconography.
0: So Alice. There is one more pitch. Um, and unfortunately, our listeners uh, must continue to listen to our voices because this is a text based <laughs> pitch from our very good friend and fellow podnot, uh T.H. ponders.
1: Yes. Uh, uh, T.H. ponders has has actually texted me his pitch because he uh, didn't get a chance to record it in time. Um, so I'm going to read it to you.
0: Okay, here we go. Roll and that. Roll that text.
1: You ready, buddy? All right. Yeah. This is the text I got from him. It says, two people riding Space Mountain and recording it for YouTube. His, the friend says, you know, this ride is all dark. There's no sense in recording it. The first guy says, yeah, but you got to do it for completion. And as they're going through the ride, the l- lights flash around them and they see a spaceship and suddenly a popping noise and silence. Has the ride stopped? Did they go off the rails? A light flicks on, and they can't believe what they're seeing. They're actually on board the spaceship. But there's no roller coaster out the window. It's just stars, and they're actually in space. Two teenagers from the year 2018 have actually found themselves on an actual spaceship in actual space. Their shock is interrupted when they hear a voice behind them. How how did you get here? Welcome to my audio drama, Lost in Space Mountain. Because, you know, because, you know, the world needs more space sci-fi podcasts.
0: I am here for it. No, this is great. This is great (laughs) because, Alice, if I had to pitch you on a Space Mountain movie right now, no matter how I did it, I'd just be making stuff up like there's no details for Space Mountain to pick apart to turn into a film.
1: No, um, there's just aesthetic and nothing else. There's no like extra characters or extra bits or extra detail like what we did the other mountains. We did Matterhorn and Big Thunder. I love that he pitched a space mountain idea because now we're we're really covering all of all of the mountains. It feels uh, really good. The
0: Splash Mountain remains to be seen, but it already has a film it adaptation. Already
1: has a film, and it's not great. No, um, it's,
0: it's kind of not great. It's, it's a future episode, though. For uh, sure. So the the question of like okay so this is kind of um the last starfighter i guess um where you know uh fish out of water kids from earth get sucked into like a space battle of some kind um but instead they're on the roller coaster and the roller coaster seems a little too real for a second and then pop they're in space on on a bigger spaceship. I assume the roller coaster cards just kind of like end up in like a docking bay somewhere.
1: <laughs> yeah, like exactly how well, I, I say exactly how it looks like, but uh again, we're talking audio drama. Right. So they just appear on this spaceship. Maybe with their maybe there's some some comment from the from whoever they meet in this spaceship that uh they're like you came in that it doesn't even have air like (laughs) it doesn't even have life support it's open on top
0: super people from like beyond the stars
1: oh man
0: so this this starts a a series of comedic and dramatic moments and what i love is that these are uh youtubers basically you know they're they're teens they're gonna meme they're gonna they're gonna dab on people Uh, oh of course it's gonna be very very funny um and you know by the end of it i hope um there's some kind of you know thing that only they can do and that's how they ended up in this world you know some some kind of not chosen one narrative but like uh we go kind of you know what if this were a movie it's cloverfield um but it starts but the premise is uh space mountain ride on video (laughs) okay instead of a video of like our birthday that goes wrong and there's a monster attacking it's bro, you got to get, you got to videotape it all. It's for completion. And then it's found footage of the rest of their time in space. Um, Okay.
1: It could be, it could be framed as, and then we view this next segment where they are confronted by, and it's like a, Oh, it's a documentary.
0: Yeah. it's, it's It's a fake
1: documentary. Sounds a little bit more like, um, maybe a little bit more like homecoming. Then, uh, then, have, have you listened to Homecoming? I haven't listened to Homecoming yet. We give it like a, like a, like a, a frame where we're looking back or we're flashing back on on pieces of recordings.
0: Get this: these two become the heroes of this space civilization, and this is the documentary of their victory um, and how they ended up in that world, uh, being made after they've already won the war.
1: But they're a bunch of, they're a couple of teenage doofuses, American doofuses. Like, hey man, no man, you gotta, you gotta get that on film, man. That looks, that looks radical. It reminds me of, and they're dropping pop culture references all the time.
0: All all the time. That's what this movie's about.
1: That's what this podcast is about. That's what this podcast
0: is about. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And yeah. And then, and then by the end, you know, they, maybe they kind of grow up a little, they become like the, the heroes that the galaxy deserves. Um, but they're definitely... It's kind of Bill and Ted. Oh, uh, yeah. It's kind of Bill and Ted in that way, where they're just, like, two idiot bros that will eventually ascend to heroism, Um, but then, uh, by being dumb, kind of fail upward until they actually save the galaxy.
1: I love it. I love it. I'm in. Count me in. Let's start producing it right now. You
0: know what? Uh, I'm going to go... uh, make a couple of phone calls uh (laughs) because here we have five amazing ideas for ride adaptations and alice i think that our time talking about them has kind of come to an end
1: yeah i wanted to thank all of the listeners for joining us on this uh pitch extravaganza we had a really good time and we've really enjoyed making the last 20 episodes and and having you all listen
0: and 20 is by no means the ceiling on this train. Uh, I know I'm mixing metaphors here. Uh, <laughs> the, the, there are no breaks on this big Thunder Mountain Railroad. Uh, we are galloping towards our 26th anniversary episode because we've, we've been about two ep- uh, oh, an episode every two weeks. So in February, we're going to try and have our 26th episode out. And I don't think that one's actually going to be special. We might save it for 30. But, you know, we're on our way.
1: We're on our way. We've been doing this almost a year, and I've been having such a good time uh, with you, buddy. Thank you so much for being just the very best co-host that a girl could ask for.
0: Alice, you are a fantastic co-host. Thank you for being on this adventure with me.
1: My pleasure.
0: Yeah, you know, Alice, if if people want to get in touch with us, maybe they want to pitch us another ride concept, or they want to be part of our next call-in episode, how can they get in touch with us?
1: Well, they definitely should reach out to us on Twitter. You can find me on Twitter at White T H P for those happy places. And
0: I'm at Buddy underscore Duquesne. Duquesne is spelled D-U-Q-U-E-S-N-E. And Alice, we also have a Discord channel.
1: That's right. If you want to join our Discord, either hit us up on Twitter, we'll send you a personal link, or you can email us. You can email me at... Uh white podcast at gmail.com.
0: And I'm at buddy.duquesne. Duquesne is spelled D-U-Q-U-E-S-N-E.
1: Gotta spell it every time because you if you don't, no one's gonna know how to spell Somebody's your ridiculous gonna
0: spell name. Spell it with a K, and that's just <laughs> not how it goes, you guys. Um So, Alice, uh, did you know that uh, you know, our listeners are probably hearing our theme music right now?
1: Our theme music is uh, um Golden Gate by the California feature warmers <laughs> featuring Phil Alvin
0: yes that's right and there is some additional music in this episode and I've decided that for this episode I'm gonna find some tracks by Kevin McLeod uh Kevin McLeod is a fantastic podcast uh pro- well okay Kevin McLeod produces music that he offers for free and license free so podcasters are welcome to use it but you've heard his music All over the internet, maybe on YouTube, he famously did all of the music for um, Kerbal Space Program, the space simulator, Um, and a bunch of other stuff. You probably heard him on other podcasts as well. I think I'm going to find just the right atmospheric tracks from Kevin McLeod to put under some of our pitches today.
1: And if you have any use for Kevin MacLeod's music on your podcast, you can find his music at That's incomptech.com.
0: That's I-N-C-O-M-P-T-E-C-H dot com.
1: And thank you for listening. If you like what you heard, be sure to subscribe, leave a review, and tell your friends
0: yeah uh and alice you know talking to our listeners and and getting uh submissions from people is always so cool it's one of my favorite parts about making this podcast so i just want to say to everybody out there who's listening thank you for listening and we hope you return to those happy places